This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Powerplay, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Yong, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Denson Chung, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. In this episode, we're going to look at America's and China's ongoing courtship of Southeast Asia and ASEAN. So Denson, last week was a pretty exciting week for Southeast Asia watchers in Washington. President Biden hosted ASEAN leaders to a special summit, and most of them descended on Washington. So 8 out of 10 ASEAN leaders were here, except for the Myanmar junta leader and the Philippines, which had just had an election. So it's actually really rare to see so many Southeast Asians gather in one place in D.C., honestly. And this is actually the first time that ASEAN leaders have met a U.S. president at the White House. And it's also the first time a U.S.-ASEAN special summit has been held since 2016, when President Obama hosted ASEAN leaders for a two-day summit in Sunnylands, California. Yes, and I think it's about time. You know, this, this summit was supposed to have happened in March, uh, you know, and that was postponed because of scheduling conflicts. But Carissa, you know, this, this summit has been in the making for even longer than that, right? Yeah, this actually goes back to March 2020 when President Trump was supposed to host ASEAN leaders in Las Vegas. But that got axed because of the pandemic, and I actually still have the credits from my cancelled flight from that trip. And like you said, the Biden administration announced another summit for March this year, but that fell through too because of scheduling conflicts. So I guess, you know, really a case of third time lucky. Um, but let's zoom out for a bit, you know, why, why is this such a big deal? Yeah, let's look at the overall landscape of US-ASEAN-China dynamics. So the US and China are competing for influence in Southeast Asia, but the US has somewhat fallen behind recently. So historically, it's played a big role ensuring security in the region, but China has been deepening its economic ties with the region over the past decade or so, and you know, a little before that. And meanwhile, America's attention has slipped somewhat because it's been preoccupied with domestic concerns and also other foreign policy quagmires like the wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq. So with this summit, the US wants to send a message that it can be a reliable partner to Southeast Asia and to ASEAN. So, you know, Denson, in the lead up to the summit, US officials have been stressing to the media that they have learned from these past approaches to the region. And, you know, they've been telling us that Washington wants to go beyond military and security cooperation. So instead, they want to meet ASEAN's needs, and they also don't want to force ASEAN to choose between the US and China, which is a big concern of ASEAN. But then, I'm curious, what was China's messaging around the US-ASEAN summit? You know, where does China stand in its courtship of ASEAN? Well, I think the view here in Beijing is that, you know, this is more of the the Biden administration trying to to you know strengthen partnerships to confront China and and you know you, you sort of see that reflected in what Beijing has said leading up to the summit. For example, you know uh, you have uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, you know, in meetings with with his Cambodian and Indonesian counterparts, you know, talking about how uh, the US has been trying to inject this uh, kind of confrontation into the region, you know, with true partnerships like the Five Eyes Quad uh, and AUKUS. And, you know, it's been like this for many months now. We've seen Beijing call out the US for what it calls uh, block confrontation, you know, saying that the Washington's Indo-Pacific strategy is, you know, the Asian version of NATO. And more recently, we've seen uh, China say, uh, you know, again, that 
about how you know Asia is for Asians. You know that Asian countries should make their own decisions on on security and, and cooperation. You know, and the implicit message here, you know, is for the US to to butt out the region. But you know, another interesting point that I noticed coming out of this uh, meeting is that you know I think Beijing is also quite conscious not to alienate ASEAN nations with its you know this this fiery rhetoric. ASEAN is strategically very important to China. You know, it's on China's doorstep and key trade routes uh, pass through ASEAN nations in their waters. Uh, and so, you know, ASEAN countries have said time and time again that they don't want to have to choose between one power or the other. And so after the summit, you know, you had the Chinese foreign ministry saying that both the China and the US are countries in Asia, in Asia Pacific. And there was no reason why they both cannot share the same friends, you know, as long as they both play a constructive role in the region. But that's enough for me, you know. So, Krista, what would you say were the key outcomes from the summit? I'd say there were three main concrete things. You know, the first thing was uh, US $150 million worth of programs. So these were in the areas of clean energy, maritime cooperation, public health, education, and also there are a few schemes here and then, the areas of infrastructure and digital economy, and honestly, a bunch of other areas as well. And the second thing other than the programs was that President Biden finally announced that he was nominating a close advisor, Mr. Johannes Abraham, to fill the post of U.S. ambassador to ASEAN. And the third thing is that the U.S. and ASEAN agreed to work towards upgrading their ties to a comprehensive strategic partnership in November. So currently, they are strategic partners. But Denson, arguably, all three of those outcomes can actually be seen as the U.S. playing catch-up to China. So for the $150 million, that honestly isn't that much compared to the billions that China has been pouring into the region. And, you know, to be fair, the US does work differently. You know, instead of the government pushing organizations and companies to go into another country, they try and encourage the private sector to invest in these countries. But still, the disparity is pretty big in terms of just sheer numbers. And also, filling the post of US ambassador to ASEAN is kind of long overdue because that position has been vacant since January 2017 when the Trump administration started, and that's been more than five years. And Mr. Biden is more than a year into his term, so it's really been a while. And thirdly, you know, ASEAN already has a comprehensive strategic partnership with China as well as with Australia. So the US gaining this status would kind of put it on par with China. Yeah, you're right. You know, the US really has quite a bit to catch up to here in ASEAN. Those numbers that you just outlined, they might seem like a lot, but I would, you know, I just like to provide some context. Last year, when ASEAN and China commemorated 30 years of, of dialogue relations, President Xi Jinping, you know, announced that Beijing will provide $1.5 billion in development aid to ASEAN, you know, and buy an additional $150 billion worth of agricultural products from ASEAN over the next five years. You know, so those numbers, uh, you know, the Washington uh, offering, you know, they are, they are unilateral pledges, um, but it pales in comparison to, to I think, what China has offered to the region. And, you know, China really has worked quite hard to, you know, deepen its economic ties. Um, you know, two-way trade in goods, uh, for example, uh, came up to something like $878 billion last year. You know, it's more than double the U.S.'s trade with ASEAN. And, you know, you just have to contrast uh, how these numbers have grown over the years. In, in the year 2000, uh, total U.S. trade with ASEAN was $135 billion, US dollars, and China's trade stood only at $40 billion. US dollars. And not only that, you know, I think China, you know, through its Belt and Road Initiative, is helping to build infrastructure like, like railways and ports in a number of ASEAN countries. Uh, it's also part of the ASEAN-led RCP Trade Pact. And this is unlike the U.S., which, which pulled out from the TPP in 2017. Uh, American engagement in the region is primarily, you know, focused on security, but I think China's focus is on trade and infrastructure, 
um, two things that are very important to a fast developing region like Southeast Asia. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. Yeah, one thing that was a bit of an elephant in the room during the summit was the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or the IPEF, which is America's soon-to-be-released strategy for economic engagement in the region. And you know, it's not out yet, but it'll probably be out soon this month. So when it comes to trade and economics, like you said, America is at a bit of a disadvantage. You know, it withdrew from the TPP in 2017, and in contrast, China is now in the RCEP. And, you know, the IPEF, the latest in the alphabet soup of trade stuff in the region, you know, that hasn't come out yet. But as far as we can tell, it's not going to be a traditional trade deal. You know, it's not going to have market access. It's not going to have, you know, uh, things like that. Instead, we will have pillars. And this is expected to address supply chain resilience, infrastructure and climate solutions, anti-corruption and fair, resilient trade. And this will include a fair bit of, you know, digital economy related issues. But, you know, that that's not quite what Southeast Asia wants, is it? Yeah, not quite. And you can really tell this from the comments that the leaders made on the sidelines of the summit. You know, even the countries that were broadly supportive of the IPEF, which was discussed at the summit. So, you know, for one, Singapore's Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong, he said that US participation in the Asia-Pacific must also consist of economic cooperation and not just security and defence. And, you know, he was talking about the IPEF and he said that in terms of investment and trade, there isn't much substance yet. But he did say that it does represent a new start after, you know, America's withdrawal from the TPP. And he acknowledged that, you know, while the US isn't ready to participate in trade or investment cooperation yet, hopefully the IPEF can be a jumping off point to, you know, work towards fully restoring economic cooperation. And, you know, somewhat echoing the sentiment was Malaysia's Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob, who called for the US to adopt a more active trade and investment agenda. But honestly, it's not like the ASEAN leaders have much choice. You know, this is as much as the US is willing and able to give at the moment. So they're also acknowledging these US limitations. I guess the, the one thing uh, going for the US is that, you know, there's, there's also a great deal of ambivalence um, towards China in the region. There, there was this uh, survey by the ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute um, earlier this year that, you know, of the regions, uh, you know, policymakers, academics, and business people, you know, it showed that you know, two thirds of respondents were worried about China's growing economic influence. Um, you know, China is, is seen by far as the, the most influential political and economic power in Southeast Asia. So, you know, there's this sense of wariness. You know, and to be fair, you know, some of this is China's fault. You know, you just have to look at the, some of the actions that it's taken in, in militarizing parts of the, the South China Sea. You know, it has disputes with a number of uh, Southeast Asian countries. Right. Yeah, it's not in the interest of ASEAN member states to become overly dependent on China. And, you know, they, they know this. Yeah. And so, you know, keeping the US engaged in the region economically, I think basically gives um, ASEAN more options, you know, more flexibility. So, so any engagement, uh, like you said, from the US is going to be welcomed. Uh, but, you know, as we discussed earlier, it, it, it's still going to be a very, very big gap for the US to try and close. Thank you, Danson. That nicely wraps up our chat. You have been listening to PowerPlay. I'm Carissa Yong. And I'm Danson Chong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in the podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.